0: KQED
1: Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel I'm Carly, and I'm Jamidra, and we're the hosts
2: of The, the Cooler. Cooler Remember Tales from the Crypt? Well, hold on to your nostalgia because today the three of us are serving up frightfully delightful tales that we discovered throughout our travels around the world wide web
1: And we'll be debating the creepy phenomenon of
2: A-S-M-R. Oh, yeah. That was a treat. It was not. (laughs) It was a trick. Gather around, listeners. This week, for the hallowed holiday, we thought that we'd gather up our Ouija board, you know, light some candles.
1: Ungodly. Stay away from that stuff.
2: (laughs) And we're going to tell a few tales, a la our favorite HBO creepster, The Crypt Keeper.
1: When I hear that, I immediately think of his will-of-a-wisp hair and his eyes. Oh, yeah. Bulgy. Yeah. But
3: we all remember him, yes? Oh, yes. And may I say how excited I am? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, yes. It's Halloween. <laughs> I'm here around the campfire with two of my favorite people. Exactly. That's you. And like our creepy friends' tales, we're going to tell a few today, but
2: there's one difference between our tales and his tales. What's that? Our tales are allegedly
1: true <gasps> <laughs> according to the internet according to the
2: internet and we know that everything on the internet is 100 percent true yes, yes. I, No citations needed
3: i
1: believe mm. anywhere
2: so at this point i think that we should probably light a campfire and start telling stories at
1: first we have to throw the dust on the fire like in are you afraid of the dark mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and then we ignore all the creepy sounds around us and mm-hmm. all the warnings
1: yes uh. okay so i found a lot of things while doing research for this segment i could tell you all about The American serial killer, nicknamed the Butcher of Plainfield, (gasps) who crafted a belt out of his victim's nipples. No! But I'm not going to tell you about that. Please don't. I could also easily chat about how disembodied feet keep washing up in the Pacific Northwest. (gasps) I love that one. 19 feet since 2007. The odds of finding just two feet is one in a million, they say. And this has happened 19 times. What the hell? I should go there
2: to buy my lotto ticket
1: because, you know, the odds. And right. And so clearly I need to just... And also you love Canada. Exactly. And you love disembodied feet. Uh,
3: the Wait. last one, not so much. <laughs> isn't that the place where people keep putting fake feet into the sea as well?
1: <laughs> they also are doing that because trolls are going to troll. It's mm.
3: hard to resist.
1: Yeah. But there's a different story that I have to tell in full. I am listening. So me. ready. Once there was a German dude named Count Karl von Kossel. Hi, Karl. You might not want to say hi to him. Oh. oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say welcome to the show, but nope. maybe... Not we don't want him. to extend the hand of friendship. We don't, we don't know her.
1: So in his early childhood, he said he would regularly be visited by one of his dead ancestors. You know, that happens to all of us. Obviously. And she kept showing him this face of a woman saying, this is going to be your true love. Hmm. Fast forward to his adulthood. It's 1930s Key West, Florida. Okay. All right, spring
3: break. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I feel good. I feel good. Tropical prints, florals for spring.
1: MTV's in town. Yeah. So one day at the hospital that he works at, because he's a doctor now. A Cuban-American woman named Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos walks in. And he's like, that's the girl from My Ancestor's Vision. No. Before you get too excited about this, (laughs) me (laughs) cute. This is not a Julia Roberts rom-com. It's more like Mandy Moore's A Walk to Remember. And instead of saying, I have leukemia, like Mandy Moore says in that Mm -hmm. movie, she says, I have tuberculosis. Oh, Um, it's all the rage back in the day. Count Carl is like... MBD, my one true love. I can treat you and cure you by bringing x-ray machines to your house. And I'm also going to bring you jewelry. I'm going to bring you the latest fashions. And I'm going to profess my love to you. Hmm.
3: This guy seems solid. Meanwhile, I'm out here. I can't even get a text back from a friend.
1: (laughs) Can't even get a you up.
2: Okay. (laughs) By the way, that's the biggest I owe you one ever. I'm going to save your life. Uh And after that, we're going to go on a date. Right. Okay.
1: So there's no record of what she actually thought about all of this attention. But my guess is that it was something in the neighborhood of not i'm like literally <laughs> trying to calmly die over here and you're you're doing the most
2: this is the most extreme equivalent of i have to wash my hair right like I'm just, i can't right now so
1: it's also the most extreme equivalent of that guy at the bar who won't leave you alone and keeps hitting mm-hmm. on you but it's at your deathbed yeah so eventually our girl maria dies mm. R.I.P. Right, baby girl say hi I to Aaliyah, and the count is distraught he pays for the funeral, which is really nice. Mm. And with the permission of her family, he constructs an above-ground mausoleum in the Key West Cemetery for Maria.
3: This all sounds lovely. Nothing creepy.
1: So he visits every night. And he says her spirit pops up and says what's up and sings to her own corpse. A lot's going on Clearly. in this mausoleum. Then one night in 1933, two years after Maria's death, the Count sneaks into the cemetery with a toy wagon, removes... Maria's decomposing corpse Oh! puts it in the wagon, wheels are on home, oh. you know, commuting sucks, and he didn't <laughs> want to do it anymore. The LDR was not sustainable. <laughs> so our girl Maria's body is not holding up well. Mm-hmm. So he uses wire and coat hangers to keep her together. Oh, Lord. He fits her face with glass eyes replaces her decomposing skin with silk cloth soaked in wax. He uses perfumes and preserving agents to mask the smell and stop the rotting. And then he keeps her body in his bed. Oh. And he sleeps with her every night.
3: So basically she is putrefying like a week old pumpkin. And he's like, better hairspray, better makeup, yeah. you'll be
1: fine. Get the Febreze out.
3: Oh my God.
1: So he sleeps next to her for seven long years. No. Okay, so no. hold on. Here's the
2: thing though. You ever had the co-worker... With some, <laughs> with some B.O. Uh-huh. Nobody was like, so boo, what's going on in your home life? You come to work every day smelling. You
0: okay?
1: <laughs> well, funny you should mention that. The rumor gets around that he's sleeping with a corpse. And so Maria's <laughs> sister shows up at oh, his house. She eventually sees the body of her sister in his bed. He is oh. arrested for, quote, wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. That's mm. it? I feel like, There should be more. There should be more. The charges were dropped because nothing makes sense in this world. And all of this made the headlines in Florida. And again, because nothing makes sense in this world, the public was generally sympathetic to the count and thought of him as a romantic who was, you know, just a little bit eccentric. Mm. Hmm. (laughs) So the count went on to live another 12 years before dying alone. And he was found three weeks later after his death. And they found a life-size death mask wearing effigy of Maria in his apartment. So that is my literal tale from the crypt. Oh my! Tale from the you mausoleum. You went
3: into the crypt to get that juicy tale, that poor putrefying tale, and you brought it out. I Dex. mean,
2: she couldn't even rest in death.
3: No, nope. poor woman. Can I please get some sleep
1: eternally? Mm. Who else got the story?
3: I have been obsessed with this particular super creepy story from history for years and years. Oh, this is gonna be good. Have you guys heard of? The Lost Expedition of Sir John Franklin. No. (gasps) Ben's brother? (laughs) (laughs) Not even. You are in for a treat. So it's the early 1800s. Sir John Franklin is a famous explorer because back then that's something that British people love to do. Clearly. We find a landmass that doesn't have a flag on it and we go nuts. (laughs) Drives (laughs) us crazy. We just have to go there and just mess it up for everyone. And he's one of those dudes. So he wants to find this elusive mythical, up until that point, passage, the Northwest Passage in the Arctic, because they think it's going to open up trading routes, right? So he gets two ships and this gigantic crew of over 100 people. These two ships are called HMS Erebus and HMS Terror, Oh. If you were going on an expedition not, with a ship called the Terror... Not the ship I would you Come on. Not that one. You can already see this is not going to end well. <laughs> these two ships are never seen again. Oh, no. The men are never seen again. We now believe the two ships became ice bound. So what happened to the people on these ships? Oh boy. <laughs> so there were nearby land masses and... They have found some graves oh. and some bodies on the nearby land masses, which strongly indicate these poor guys, all 129 of them across these two ships, ended up resorting to cannibalism. I knew <laughs> I knew you knew it, you knew it was going to happen. Donner Pass, (sighs) all over again. Oh, my God. And the reason they know that, right, because they they haven't found all of them, but they have found certain skeletons. And some of these bodies actually are not skeletons. They are perfectly preserved because the ice there on these islands keeps freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing. And that is how you get a perfectly preserved body.
1: So they're like bog people. Exactly.
3: Or Ötzi the Iceman. So if you go and look this up on the darker corners of the internet, these pictures are weirdly moving because you can still recognize these guys faces.
1: And you can recognize the teeth marks on them.
3: Well, well, well. The bones that they have found cut
1: marks. Oh, no, no, no.
3: And I quote from a medical journal here, consistent with defleshing. What's more, 35 bones that they have found had, and I quote again, signs of breakage and pot polishing. Do you guys want to guess what pot polishing means? Oh, not really. That's when the end (laughs) of a bone heated in boiling water rubs against the cooking pot they think this is what is called the end stages of cannibalism when the folks are so so starving that it's not enough to take the flesh off someone's bones they want to extract the marrow to eke out the last bits of calories Mm. and nutrition
2: well there goes my dinner i won't be eating tonight so Mm.
3: anytime that you're just feeling a bit bored or a bit hungry (laughs) just think at least you are not on the Sir John Franklin expedition
2: Ooh, I just know to self never get on a ship called the terror like nothing <laughs> if it has terror in the name Mm-mm. you just steer away now it's my turn to tell a little story and in addition to tales from the crypt there was one other show that used to thoroughly
1: freak me the F out nope nope I can't I won't Hang
3: on, what what's that? I, I, I oh my gosh! Well, for those who don't know, and Carly, yes, it didn't cross the Atlantic. Clearly,
2: that is the theme song from a little show we like to call Unsolved Mysteries.
3: <gasps> yeah, we had our own version. It was boring. <laughs> Ours was not. It was not. It was
2: not. Unsolved Mysteries was a show hosted by a guy named Robert Stack, mm-hmm. who had the creepiest voice ever.
0: Yes, he, he would he tell did. you
2: stories. <laughs> <laughs> he would tell you stories about all the unsolved mysteries that have happened. I think in the country, but then also around the world. And so as a kid, I would be up late at night afraid because he would always end the show with, maybe you can solve the mystery. And I'm like, I don't know, can I?
1: <laughs> if you have any information, exactly, call one 800 unsolved. <laughs> if I have scarred you for life and you now need to seek mental health treatment, call 1-800.
2: <laughs> exactly. So today I am going to share a little story with you and then maybe you, Carly, Emmanuel, listeners, can help me solve this oh, mystery. Okay. Now, Bobby Dunbar back in 1912, went on a little fishing trip with his family. Uh-oh. His mother, his father, and his little brother, Alonzo. And on this fishing trip, Bobby disappeared. They lived in Louisiana, so the whole state was looking for him. There was this manhunt for like eight months. A gator. Mm. Eight Solved months it. later. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> well, you would think. But eight months later, mm-hmm. they find a boy fitting Bobby Dunbar's description. Oh, no. Hanging out with this man named William Walters. Authorities approach William Walters and they're like, sir, you've got Bobby. Hand him over. He denies that the boy is Bobby Dunbar. Who does he say he is? He says this little boy is, in fact, named Charles Bruce Anderson. And that he is the son of a woman named Julia Anderson who allowed him to borrow, I guess, her son for a while. Authorities don't believe him. They arrest him, take him to the station. They call the Dunbar family. They're like, come on down to Mississippi. Identify this boy. Okay. Dunbar family shows up. There's no consistent stories about what exactly happened during the encounter. Some people say the little boy was so excited to see his mom. Other reporters say that he didn't recognize them at all. Nevertheless, Dunbar mom ended up eventually claiming the boy as her son because he had birthmarks and scars that Bobby had. So she was like, this is my kid. Okay.
1: Also, it had only been seven months, so it's like, he couldn't change that much.
3: Oh, did I mention that he's four years old? Bobby is four Uh, years old. So maybe he did change a lot. Yeah, I'm going to say kids do change wildly in that time. (laughs) But not wildly (laughs) enough to be confused.
2: like, Bobby? Yeah, Bobby is that. Okay, so she claims the boy as her own. Meanwhile, a woman named Julia Anderson, the woman who says that she is the mother Mm -hmm. of the boy, Bruce Anderson, Mm -hmm. who William said is really this boy, she shows up in Mississippi and she's like, wait a minute, this is my kid. I want my child back. So then there's this back and forth. Okay, eventually, William Walters goes on trial. He's like, I didn't kidnap anybody. People in the small town in Mississippi who have known William and saw him with the little boy said, he's been kicking him with this boy before Bobby even oh, went God. missing. So we know that it's not Bobby. The Dunbars are like, it's Bobby. Julia is like, it's my son. There's a whole back and forth. Eventually, because the patriarchy, mm-hmm. of course, Julia is poor. She works as a field hand. She had three children out of wedlock, two of which had already died. And so the courts and general public just dismissed her claims. She was broke. She went home. She was heartbroken. And then she eventually just moved on with her life. Bobby went to live with the Dunbars. William was convicted of kidnapping and went to prison. I think a lot of
3: people have been screwed over here.
2: So it seems like the end of the story, right? Right. Right? Like that's everybody's moved on with their life. Not so. Uh Uh-oh. Not so. So eventually, Williams' attorney is like, mm-mm, this ain't right. He appeals. Williams' case gets dropped and has to be retried. And then the county that he was tried in, they were like, it was too expensive the first time. We're not doing it the second time. Listen, just don't kidnap any more kids. Okay, Just go, and go on about your life. They let him go. He okay. don't do that again. So Julia, you know, she missed her son. She ended up moving to the small town in Mississippi where William and, quote, Bobby slash Bruce had been living. And she settles into that community. She gets married. She has seven children of her own. She becomes a Christian. She's like a pillar of the community. But she never forgot. She was like, them Dunbar stole my baby. And she's in mm-hmm. the
3: same place as them. Mm-hmm. So eventually,
2: Bobby goes on. He grows up. He gets married. He has four children. Then, then in 1966, he dies. Oh, So now let's skip on to 2004.
3: Oh, gosh. DNA? Oh, no. In 2004,
2: a woman by the name of Margaret Dunbar Cartwright, who is the granddaughter of Bobby Dunbar, was like, listen, I'm sick of all these rumors. Y'all not going to keep saying that my grandfather was someone else.
1: Elizabeth Warren, give me the link to that DNA site. Give me
2: the link to the DNA site. We will handle this today. 23 and me. So eventually, Bob Dunbar Jr. does a DNA test. And the DNA test proves that he... Bobby Dunbar Jr. is not related to anybody in the oh Dunbar family.
1: Oh my god. <sighs> he's an Anderson. He's
2: an Anderson. So, well, here's the thing. Allegedly, we don't know. We don't know who he is. Hope I think True. he's an Anderson, but we don't know for sure.
1: As Oprah would say,
2: what uh, is the truth? What is the we don't truth? Know. But we do know that William, he was finally vindicated in death. He died in, 19, in the late 1930s. But now we know he never kidnapped anybody. He spent oh. his whole life telling people he didn't kidnap anybody. Mm-mm-mm. Then Julia Anderson's family is like, see, we told y'all he wasn't a Dunbar. Although we can't prove that he wasn't Anderson, mm-hmm. we told y'all he wasn't a Dunbar. So the real question
3: is, what happened to the real Bobby Dunbar? Oh, God, this is a horrible.
1: Gator. Where did I'm he go? That's where I think. I mean, diagnosis gator,
3: I
2: guess, but... (sighs) Margaret Dunbar Cartwright, the granddaughter that we discussed Mm -hmm. earlier, said that her theory is that Bobby fell in the lake and was eaten by an alligator.
1: I knew it. Nope. I knew it. (laughs)
2: Vindication. (laughs) Well, folks, there you have it. The next time you're clutching your popcorn and you're all freaked out about some horror film, you just remember one thing. The world outside is freakier than anything on that screen. It really is. And now
1: for some real, true, freaky stories. So last episode, we asked you listeners to share your own creepy tales by calling our hotline, which you can always reach at 415-553-2850. And some of you did. Let's start with this story from Molly.
0: The house I grew up in was haunted. It was a uh, house on the historic registry in the town where I lived, and it was used as a hospital during the Civil War. Most of my friends were uncomfortable there during sleepovers, but they loved me, so they still came. But one day when I was in high school, I was homesick with a fever. I was home alone by myself, and I fell asleep on my bed reading a book. During my nap, I saw this woman in my room. She had a cold compress on my forehead and just told me to go back to sleep. I woke up later, and I couldn't find my glasses. I looked all over my bed, on the floor. They wound up being across my room, like far across my room on my desk. So once I got my glasses back on... I called my mom and I thank her for stopping home from work to check on me. (laughs) But she insists that she hadn't, that nobody had been home, but I was still home alone by myself. So the only conclusion I can come to is one of the Civil War ghosts was there looking after me. That's awful.
1: And scary. Well, if you thought that was scary, here's another story from...
4: I saw your request for paranormal stories, and honestly, I kind of wish I could just take you back to my parents' stupidly haunted house. They moved there shortly after I was born, and that house honestly tortured me from the time I was about three. When I was 12, though, my folks had the attic converted into a bedroom and moved me in there, and things got about a million times worse. My door would unlatch itself, fly open and slam shut in the middle of the night. If I tried to sleep with the light on, it would be turned off by morning. And on one particularly terrifying occasion, I was held down in my own bed by my shoulders so I couldn't get up and turn the light back on. To make matters worse, one morning I woke up, looked across the room, and there was a man, totally 3D, like you would be to me, sitting at my desk just staring at me. Needless to say, I ran out of the room screaming and ran to my sisters. And some similar things have happened to guests in that room since, usually just the door stuff. To this day, remarkably, my parents vocally deny there being a problem at all. But let's just say no one really sleeps in that room anymore if they can help it.
1: So that's creepy, creepy stuff. If you want to be on a future episode, call us at 415-553-2850. Next week's question is, what is getting you out to vote for the midterm elections? It's the, the peak in the, the pit. Hey, the, the peak in the pit. Hey. It's time for the peak in the pit. Our look at this week's pop culture highs and lows. So, let's start with a high because, you know, things are dark out here. Mm. 40 years after the original, the latest Halloween movie starring the queen of probiotic yogurt, yes, Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> Scream Queen, yes, brought in 76 million smackers in its opening weekend. Yes. And she celebrated with a tweet that I love. "Quote Okay, I'm going for one boast post. Biggest horror movie opening with a female lead. Biggest movie opening with a female lead over 55. Second biggest October movie opening ever. Biggest Halloween opening ever. Hashtag women get things done. Come through. And the reason why I love that is because women aren't really afforded victory laps much. Mm. And women are taught to make themselves smaller and not brag. And here she is fully owning this victory. She is slaying the cinematic world. Like Michael, mm-hmm. more of us need to do more boast posts, yeah. And now right into the muck. Our Halloween themed pit of the week goes to a repeat offender by the name of Megan Kelly. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. I saw
2: a headline, and I decided not to read, but here we go.
1: Mm-hmm. She is the patron saint, in case you don't know, of wildly mediocre people <laughs> who got lucky. She of the Santa Campy Black argument. and for some reason, she still has a platform on NBC. And she used it this week to discuss Halloween costumes. What could possibly go wrong? I can
4: see no issues with this. There was a controversy on the Real Housewives of New York with Luann. as she dresses Diana Ross. And she made her skin look darker than it really is. And people said that that was racist. And I don't know, I felt like, who doesn't love Diana Ross? She wants to look like Diana Ross for one day. I, I don't know how, like, that got racist on Halloween. I it's not like it, she's walking around I, I have general. not seen it. So I can't it. keep up with the number of people that were offending just by being, like, normal people. I,
2: I, I've oh, seen oh. it. I, I saw those photos of Luann.
3: Oh, and yes. I, mm, yeah. I would also challenge her
1: assertion that that is normal people behaving. Right. White people whining about not being able to don blackface is basically, like, a horror movie villain. Always coming back from the dead. It's like, I thought we put you away. I thought we discussed this and put it to bed. Jason, is that you? (laughs) here you are trying to kill us again with your insanity.
3: You can always tell a lot about people from the the crosses that
1: they choose to die on, right? Mm. It's not that hard. Just don't paint your skin to be darker than it is and don't put on someone else's culture or race as a costume. Like, not... At heart. Also, listen to the cooler, because we have spoken about this so many times. Mm-hmm. I know. something like not she's not downloading all episodes anymore. <laughs> That's an extra reason to be mad at her right there. So some people can't help themselves. They're still confused about why they can't do something that they want to do. You know who else is confused about why they can't do certain things? Trans people who want to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Native Americans in North Dakota or mm-hmm. black people in Georgia yeah, who want to vote. Gay people who want to go to work without the fear of being fired for being who they are, women who want to be able to exist without the threat of assault at every turn, and survivors who want their abusers to be held accountable. They're also confused, Megan. Mm -hmm. So, pit of the week to you for generally being the worst. And now for a peak or a pit, depending on what we decide in this room. Just like the Taylor Swift getting political conversation from two episodes ago. This next entry is so polarizing that we need to open it up to debate. Mm. So do me a favor close your eyes you too listener unless you're biking or driving or holding a baby or something (laughs) now imagine you're home alone and trying to go to sleep it's a new moon so it's really dark outside Mm -hmm. and then you hear this hello was (laughs) that cardi b that is cardi b doing asmr (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and for those that don't know, ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, and is when you get a staticky or tingling sensation when you hear certain sounds. Oh,
3: wait, you guys didn't get that from that? Mm,
1: I mean... My skin
3: crawled, but I don't know
1: if that's oh, oh, So there's an entire industry on YouTube around random people talking like this, eating things, clacking their nails on random stuff. There's already a queen of the ASMR movement. Her handle is Life with Mac. You may have seen her on Twitter. She's a red-haired teen with braces who has... Millions of fans, literally millions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's listen to her eat some honey and drink some sparkling water.
2: Okay, so no shade, but what is this supposed to do for me?
1: It's supposed to make you feel calm and go to sleep, and you're supposed to feel tingling. You couldn't resist,
3: could you? The LaCroix, you couldn't resist.
1: (laughs) Out of hours of footage she put out, I put that in. I should have known. So, ASMR has become such a big thing that now celebrities are getting into it. So, Janet Jackson has her own video, Kate Hudson, Aubrey Plaza, Jennifer Garner. But the award for most inspiring ASMR video goes to your boy, Jeff Goldblum. (gasps) life uh, f- finds a way how about that <laughs> how about that indeed oh my it was like goodness. a cross between a tiger and Smeagol right the
3: ring may I just say Jeff Goldblum understands the internet better than anyone
1: I know for real oh. so after hearing all this is ASMR a peak or a pit for you
3: it is a peak for whoever enjoys it
1: there we go
2: and it is a pit for me because I would rather not
1: okay I, mm-hmm. my
2: personal take it's a peak
1: mmm same. <laughs> I think they call us jail seekers. My heart's beating really fast right now. Mine too. <laughs> okay, back to normal voice. Back in 2009, I was obsessed with this band called Fever Ray. It's the spinoff project. <laughs> uh, it's hard to go. Back I didn't think from that. we were.
3: We, that's, that was whiplash segue, but I loved it. I know, I
1: could just do it. No, I'm not going to because Jamidra <laughs> can't. I'm leaving. <laughs> So in 2009, I was obsessed with Fever Ray, a spinoff project of The Knife's Karen Dreiser. And she would paint a skull on her face and weird geometric Mm. shapes on her face and put out creepy songs that sound like this. Is Satan marching into the room? I'm afraid. It's He's here. Okay. Very true detective season one, isn't it? <laughs> it is ungodly. Get out of my house. So fast forward to today, she's returned with a new album. Oh. And what better way to end this strange and unusual episode than with a strange and unusual song? Oh,
3: and with a great Beetlejuice reference to round things off, I see. Yes,
1: I thought you would pick up on that. This is called IDK About You. And just to give you a sense of what kind of song this is, the music video features a very large poster of young Justin Bieber, while a cult led by someone with a vagina on their forehead does weird stuff in a room. I'm in. So, without further ado, hit it. Let's find out
0: what you are about. What's hidden in there? What you got for me there? I don't know about you. I don't know
1: about you. Listeners, you love us, right? Please say you do on iTunes with a five-star rating and a review. This episode was edited by me, Emmanuel Hapsis, with help from Ashley Ann Craigbaum,
2: and special thanks to David Marcus and Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs.
1: If you miss us in the next week, you can find us on social media. I'm Excuse My Beauty.
3: I'm at Teacup in the Bay, and I'm Jamie Rizess. Bye.
1: Bye.